Fearful Warriors, episode 51. Somebody who gets shit done. It's all down to hustle. A sacrifice of their being and way of life. We think of 300, we think of the Spartan. Sort of the courage and conviction to face their challenges in life. It always does the right thing at all costs. Olympic judo athlete Marty Malloy. Your mindset and your your drive, how hard you work. What's going on, Warriors? Timothy Lawson here, host of Fuel for Warriors, a podcast collaboration between Lawson Entertainment and Lock and Load Java. The last time you heard from me, I believe, was Independence Day when I put out a little uh, brief episode on uh, the significance of Independence Day and a moment in the Revolutionary War that I thought was uh, relatable to the warrior ethos. We are 50 episodes in the bag. It's amazing. You know, there's a lot of podcasts out there. A lot of podcasts go past 50, but it's still a milestone that so many uh, shows that uh, that set out to be successful don't actually ever get to. And I like to think that in our 50 episodes that we've had some pretty significant guests on the show. It's been truly wonderful. This is episode 51, and this week I have judo athlete Marty Malloy. Marty actually hails from my... Uh, my hometown, Oak Harbor, Washington, which is uh, something I revealed to her in the beginning of our interview. So it's a fun little realization that we get to have before we kick off the interview. But after that, we get into her life in judo. We learn a little bit about judo, the sport itself, on how it's scored and the athletes in it. Uh, and Marty does, and then Marty explains to us, uh, you know, looking forward to the Olympics, training for it, to her, her rivals, etc. cetera, uh, and then ultimately, you know, what it means to be a warrior, challenges she faces, and what ultimately inspires her. Without further ado, I'll let Carl Churchill, co-founder of Lock and Load Java, say a few words, and then we'll get to my interview with Marty Malloy. Enjoy. Hey, Warriors, this is Carl Churchill, co-founder and chief coffee officer of Lock and Load Java. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our friend and fellow veteran Tim Lawson as he interviews risk-takers who've embraced the warrior ethos. I know you'll love our guest today, and when you're finished with the episode, head over to LockAndLoadJava.com and use the coupon code FUELFORWARRIORS to receive a 10% discount on our premium coffee and cocoa. Stay motivated, my friends, and keep challenging yourself. All right, Warriors, welcome to Fuel for Warriors. This week on the show, I have judo athlete Marty Malloy. Marty, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Uh, a couple of fun facts before we get started. Uh, first of all, I, too, originate from the wonderful place of Whidbey Island. <laughs> you do? What city? Not not only that, but I I worked with uh, Mr. Ruben Malloy for, for not too long. Are you kidding me? You know that's my brother, right? <laughs> I, I do know. That's why, that's why I bring him up. Uh, Where did you guys believe- work? I believe him and I worked at the Mad Crab in in Coopville. No way! So I must have actually run into you at some point because I used to go there. Um, I think I originally met him when I I briefly worked at the Navy Exchange for like a month. So you're from Oak Harbor. I am originally from Oak Harbor, Washington. That's correct. Did you, did you go to Oak Harbor High School? I did go to Oak Harbor High School. What year did you graduate? Sorry, I'm doing the interview now, but I'm so curious. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, that's fine. Uh, 2003 was my graduating year. When did you graduate? 2004. <laughs> well, get out of here. Look at that. I, Wildcats. Uh, Wildcats. <laughs> right? So what what actually prompted me to, to reach out to you is I just finished reaching, uh, reading um, uh, Ronda Rousey's book, and mm-hmm. she mentions, quickly mentions, uh, Marty Malloy. And I was like, holy smokes, I know her. Uh, and, and I was like, Hey, I should have her on Fuel for Warriors. So that's, that's what prompted the, uh, the interview request. And I thought that you'd enjoy it knowing that I'm a follow wildcat and uh, a friend of one of the Malloys. Well, that is so awesome. What a small world, huh? Well, okay. So you've met my brother. So just pretend he has a wig with like long hair on and you basically met me. <laughs> <laughs> the Malloys, the Malloys did have, do have like a very, uh, the, the, you all look alike. That's for sure. Tr- that's for sure. The genetics are strong. I, I just find it crazy that I must have passed you in the hallways at school at some point, and we had no idea that we'd be doing this interview one day. That's just kind of crazy. Yeah, right. It's great. That's the uh, that's the power of the internet, right there. Totally. <laughs> so, Marty, we start every episode with um, well, with some reminiscing and some uh, cool facts, but then also uh, what it means to be a warrior. So. From your perspective and what you've experienced in life, to you, what does it mean to be a warrior? Well, I mean, for me, the the idea of a warrior is basically what I mean. It's definition, right? A warrior is someone with uh, a finely tuned skill, right? But I think that on top of that, to be a warrior, it has a, do, a lot to do with your mindset and your your drive, how hard you work, and. You know, you think of a warrior and you think of, for me, I think of someone like Gladiator, right? This person who has all these terrible things happen to them and they never give up and they always keep fighting. And I definitely identify myself in that way. I mean, in judo, you have to be a warrior every single day on the mat. You're basically fighting every single day. And it's always a question of, you know, maybe this person's stronger, maybe this person's bigger, but am I willing to give up and let them get the best of me? And when you don't, that's when you truly have like a warrior mindset. Going into judo, I, I want to uh, ask a couple judo one one oh one questions for you because okay. I know um, that the audience is is interested. Maybe they've heard the name Marty Malloy, but not, maybe maybe they're not familiar with the sport. And I definitely, even while reading a couple books uh, of different judo athletes, had a hard time picking up on um, some of the terminology. How exactly is judo scored? Okay, yeah. Well, I can break it down for you pretty simply, actually. There's basically right. four main ways to win in judo. The epitome and the goal of any judo player going into a match is the epone. The epone is the equivalent to a knockout in boxing. So if I were to fight you and I were to throw you flat on your back with speed and force, that would be an epone score. And I would automatically win the fight. You can do that by throwing. You can also get that win by armbarring somebody, so bending their joint the opposite way, and they either tap out or their arm breaks. So either way, you would win. The other option is a strangle or a choke. So you choke them, and they tap out or they go unconscious, and the same thing, you would win either way. And a fourth way is by pinning them to the mat. So that's keeping both of their shoulders uh, pinned to the ground for 20 seconds. And if you can do that without them entangling their legs around yours, basically like wrapping them around it, um, you would win the fight. So for women, you have four minutes to do any of those things. For men, you have five minutes. So if I were to throw you, armbar you, choke you, or pin you in the first 20 seconds of the fight, then that's how long the fight's going to be. But let's say I throw you kind of, you know, I throw you fast, but not with a lot of force. I could score a half point. You get two half points within those four minutes. They'll add up to a full point, and you'll win the match. 
Um, you can also get a quarter point, which means I kind of threw you, you know, you definitely fell on your side and there was impact on your back a little, but there wasn't much speed and force, so you would get a quarter point. But no amount of quarter points will ever add up to a higher point, so it would never equal a half point or any pwn, obviously. So some matches do go the full length, so I could throw you for a quarter point. Let's say you threw me for a half point at the end of the match if the time ran out. Because your half point is bigger than a quarter point, you would win the fight. There are also some penalties, which we call shitos, and that's just to make sure that we both engage in the fight for the full thing instead of just being defensive and trying not to get thrown, right? You want to see some action. So if you were being non-combative and running away or doing some kind of illegal grip-breaking moves, then you would get a shito. And a shito is like an advantage. So if the match were to end right then, if you had more shitos, I would win the fight. Interesting. Okay. Very yeah. well. You're you're 30 now. At what age did you start judo? I started judo when I was six. When you were six, so uh, 24 years of doing this. What what originally attracted you to the sport? I mean, initially, I don't even really remember. Like, I didn't go and say, "Mom, I want to do judo." My she enrolled, obviously, my two older brothers, and then um, I wanted to join, but I was really, really small, so small that they didn't actually make judo uniforms my size, but. I just kept begging my mom to let me go because it looked fun. You get to see all these kids playing around on the mat, hanging out. And, you know, when you're when you're part of a judo uh, club, you kind of form a little tight-knit family of people who look out for each other and care for each other and travel to tournaments together. And that was just the greatest thing about it for me in the beginning. But on top of that, um, I won right away. So my first tournament when I was six years old, I'd go out and i beat all the other girls and some boys in under, like, ten seconds. I would just grab them and throw them. So – that feeling, that positive reinforcement right from the get-go was um, something I really enjoyed. So you've been to, uh, if my, my notes are right here, you've been to two Olympics. I've been, well, I've been to London. I'm on my way to Rio. So once I get there, we can say two for sure. <laughs> so this will be your second then? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I went to Beijing as a training partner, but I didn't compete. Gotcha. When... When did you realize you could could compete at the Olympic level? Um, that it was an option or that I was capable of doing it? Both. Well, for me, I was always winning local tournaments within Washington State, and then, um, you know, I would go to the junior nationals here and there, and I would get a medal, and I was doing pretty well in the junior scene. But I hadn't really understood or conceived the fact that judo is such a huge sport in all other countries, especially in Europe and Asia. And I was attending a seminar by Mike Swain, who was the first world champion for an American from the United States. And um, he was talking about all the tournaments he goes to and how awesome it is to see all these other countries and compete against the greatest people in the world. And it was like a light bulb went off in my head, like, whoa, wait a minute, wait, I don't have to just fight people who live in my local area and in my state. I can be the best on the biggest stage on the planet. And I don't remember, but my first sensei, my first teacher, um, always tells me that after I met him, I walked up to him and I said, I want to go to the Olympics. And he said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. You mentioned that it's four minutes for a girl, five minutes for a guy. Do you, do you feel like those, those, that disparity is appropriate? Well, it's funny that you ask that because that rule recently happened, I think about two years ago, one to two years ago, they changed it from, we were all five minutes before, and then they decided that um, women would be four, men would be five, and initially, me and a bunch of my teammates were really ticked off about that. We were like, wait a minute, like, why should we have a shorter span of time to try and win a fight? And the way that the International Judo Federation explained it was that they did this huge study where they took all the matches that women fought 
and they saw that within the last minute, the the chances that someone who was down in the fight came back and won the fight were so low that it cut down the tournament time to just remove that minute from all the fights that would happen in the day. So it cut the tournament down by like an hour and a half or something like that. And that was their reasoning, which we thought was just bull, but I especially didn't like it for, well, for the reason that we should, I thought, I thought that we should have equal time to try and win the fight and it shouldn't be de- based on a reason like that. But on top of that, I'm, when people describe how I fight a match, they say that I'm a grinder, meaning that from the beginning of the match to the very end, I will just push and push and push and do everything I can to win a fight. So I felt that I had been shafted that one minute of opportunity where I usually come back and, and take a win when I'm when I'm down. So it's not something that I'm happy about, but it's an adjustment that all of us women had to make at that point. Yeah. Since since that rule change, have you noticed uh have there been matches where given that minute you would have an opportunity to, to come back? Without question. Without question. Yeah. I can think of numerous ones and you know, sometimes when I lose those fights I tell myself, Ah, oh, you know, if that had one minute had still been there I would have won. But I try not not to think about that because it's out of my control, you know, and also it's kind of like an excuse you make afterwards. Well, I should have won earlier then, I guess. (laughs) So I'm only a year older than you, uh, but I know that my body is having a difficult time entering the 30s. (laughs) Uh, I haven't been as consistent about my fitness as uh, an Olympic athlete would have, but have you noticed any challenge in maintaining fitness now that you're entering uh, a different stage of your body's life? Yeah, I've noticed in the last, um, maybe I guess since the last Olympics, that there are a few things that get harder, and one of those things is recovery. I used to just, like when I was 18 years old and I was in college, I would train twice a day, and then I would eat a huge burrito, and I would stay up till 2 in the morning doing whatever, and then get up at 7 and go to weight training and then go to work and go to class all day and then go to judo at night. And I did it, like, no problem. Like, my body was fine, my mind was fine, and now if I don't get, like, a solid 10 hours of sleep, I can't even walk. And my recovery isn't as good, and your muscles seem just a little bit more sore for a little bit longer. And when I get to the dojo to work out, I have to get a really good warm-up in, otherwise I feel like I'm creaking and cracking. And, you know, you just don't feel as resilient as you did that being said I still feel pretty good like I've been really lucky to not have gotten any serious injuries I've never had to have surgery you know so um but definitely not like it was 10 years ago without question one of the articles that I read on you said that you were ranked number four coming out of the Olympic qualifying period um is that in your weight class yes so for men and women there's there's seven weight classes for men and seven uh, weight classes for women. So among my weight class, I was ranked number four, but I'll actually go into the Olympics ranked number three. Like, how does that play into the dynamic of competing, being in any specific seat? I mean, I, you know, I, we watch tournaments and we watch um, um, all sorts of sports, and, you know, you have the, the, the higher rankings, the sleepers, the dark horses and everything. Um, how does those labels and expectations um, sort of play into your preparation? I don't know if, that, if that's the right question. No, no, it, it, it's a really good question because for judo tournaments, there's always a seeding where the, the top eight players in the weight category who show up at that tournament are going to be seeded. So that just basically guarantees that if you think of a, uh, like, you know, March Madness, the way the teams move through the brackets, it's the same thing. So if you are top eight, it guarantees that you're not going to face 
anyone else who's in the top eight in the first or second round. So that's important because being top eight means that you, among all these other seven girls, have gotten enough points at enough tournaments to be ranked that high. So it means you win a lot. So if you don't have to face anyone of the top eight players in the first round, you have higher chances of progressing through the division, which means you have a higher chance of taking a medal. So um, that's important because every single match is important. If you lose the first match at the Olympics, you're out. You're done. Like, bye. Your Olympics are over. Sometimes even in the second match, it depends on how big your category is. But the the sad thing about my category, 57 kilos, which is about 125 pounds, is that there are so many dark horses in my category. Even though you may not be in the top eight, let's say you're number 10 or 12 or even 15 or 16, any one of those girls is a force to be reckoned with and is somebody who can do some damage because 57 kilos, 125 pounds is about the most average weight um, for most athletes, I think. So it's one of the biggest categories for women. Is it is it fair to assume, and this is something that I gathered from a couple of the books that I read, is it fair to assume that the – uh, the women that you'll be facing in the Olympics are women that you've already competed against at some point in your career. Yeah, numerous times. I, I have long histories with some. Some of them I've only fought a couple times. But um, a unique thing about judo is that we ha- they, they host uh, training camps all year all over the world. So I just came back from a month in Europe, for example, where I trained in France for a week, Croatia for a week, and then I competed in Budapest. And at all of those training camps, I was fighting – four to five, even six different girls from different countries who will all be competing at the Olympics. So people always think it's strange that judo players train with the girls that they're going to fight because they're thinking of the dynamic of MMA, right? Like uh, Rhonda, for example, would never go and do a training camp with uh, Holly Holm, right? Because then it's, you know, they get to know each other too well. And obviously the sports are very different, but in judo, that's very common. We go and we seek out the top players in our category and try to get our hands on them and get a feel for them. Do you have a rival? I have many. <laughs> I have many. I mean, there's there's the girls that you know always beat you, and then you finally get that good win on them and kind of figure it out. But um, there's a couple people that are definitely in my sights. Um, one of them is the Romanian girl. Um, I fought her two times, and she beat me both times. I've never beaten her, but those losses I had to her were for big medals. I fought for. Her against her for a um, bronze medal at the World Championships, and I lost very spectacularly. And then I also lost to her in the semifinal of the Olympics in London, and she beat me with a huge throw then, too. So I have a huge chip on my shoulder about her that I would like to clean off. <laughs> the U.S. versus other countries, as far as the resources given to the athletes, one of the, that was a theme um, in Rhonda's book, anyways, on – how the U.S. just had fewer staff, coaches, resources for its athletes. Has that changed um, since some of the, the, the rising uh, talent, or is that still a struggle for the U.S. team? Um, I think that it's changing more and more as we go on. We had one of the most successful Olympics of ever in London with my best friend Kayla Harrison taking gold, me taking bronze, my teammate Travis Stevens taking fifth, and we had another guy take seventh. So, the USOC, who is a huge funder of all these programs, is the one who says, okay, you know, you guys need to get the results to get the funding and the support. And we've been doing that progressively better and better every single year. So the better we do, the more they want to put support into it. And that's important because judo is not a big sport in the United States like gymnastics or soccer or football or baseball. These these main – or track and field, for example, 
I mean, you don't see huge sponsors wanting to get behind you athletes because it's just not mainstream enough, and it's it's a pretty obscure sport. But the better we do, the more exposure we get, the more funding we get, and then the better results we can have. So I think it's come a long way in the last eight years, and I think with me and my teammates all getting gold in a few weeks, it can help it even more. Have you ever considered MMA? Um, I mean, I get asked a lot, so at some point I had to consider the question, but um, as for seriously wanting to do it, no, not not really ever. It looks like it hurts. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, you know it hurts too, but it's a different yeah. kind of hurt, you know? It's a, it's a soreness, it's a, your body hitting the floor a lot of times, but it's not the same as a punch to the face. <laughs> Yeah, I'll say it's, it's there's MMA involves uh repeated punches to the face, which is uh not fun. Yeah, I don't like that at all. What's a challenge that you're facing either personally or professionally and what are you doing to better overcome it? Ooh, I guess the main challenge for me right now is getting out of bed in the morning. <laughs> but um that has to do with the fact that I'm at a the Olympic training camp right now in Boston with the rest of the Olympic team and the biggest challenge every day is pushing yourself past what you think you can do. And what I mean is you're tired and you're out of breath and everything hurts and there's a person standing in front of you who's doing everything they can to throw you at the floor. And I want to give up. I mean, every day when I go to the, the dojo to train, I I feel anxious. And I'm anxious because I know that in order to improve, I'm going to have to be tired and push myself to a point where I think I can't breathe and I think I'm going to pass out. And my anxiety comes from wondering if I'm going to be able to do that today. And, well, twice a day, every day. And I'm overcoming it by just focusing on the small things. Um, my boyfriend always tells me it's the Muhammad, not Muhammad Ali, uh, yeah, Muhammad Ali quote where he says, it's not the mountain you have to climb, it's the pebble in your shoe. And I just think about all the small little things I have to overcome one at a time and how important they are to get to the top of the mountain and it helps <laughs> somewhat. Yeah, that's a, it's such, what I, what I love about that quote is it's, I think everybody immediately can relate to it. It's that it's, it's never the distance you really have to go anywhere, but as soon as there's a rock in your shoe, now it's just the worst experience ever. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, yeah. you know, I've, you sprain a finger one day, you roll your ankle the next day, you know, you get your elbow tweaked one day and all those little things add up to these pebbles that, are stopping you from really I sometimes I feel like giving it everything because there's these things holding you back but um it, it's really just a step by step thing you know I say you need to get your your hands on this person and after you do that think about what throw you want to do and then do that throw and then get up and do it again and it's just positive thinking as well and then lastly we obviously you have the an olympic medal in your sights but what what ultimately inspires you what what is the fuel for your warrior um, you know, I've always been the kind of person who questions life, you know, what are we doing here? Why are we here? And I can never really get the right answer, but I know that my goal is to be happy and to enjoy my life as best I can. And, um, for me, achieving this, this really hard thing to achieve, something that you can't, not anybody can do, not everybody's capable of putting in the time and work. I think that that ultimate satisfaction is what drives me. And, you know, I'm going to, no matter what happens in Rio or the next year when I try to fight the world championships, I'm going to be happy with the work I've put in and the way I've developed as a person on this journey because, in the end, that's the most important thing. You know, all the medals and all that, that all, that all becomes history eventually. It's all about, you know, how you live your life in the end.
Yeah, absolutely. Marty, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. We are following you on Twitter at SmartAdamus. SmartAdamus. <laughs> like, like Nostradamus. <laughs> yeah, I like that. And we are definitely uh, following you during the Olympic Games uh, in August and hoping you all the best in that competition. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate the support. Good luck, and hopefully we can maybe do a follow-up shortly after the Games. That would be awesome. I look forward to it. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Be sure to head over to LockAndLoadJava.com using promo code FUELFORWARRIORS for a discount on your purchase. Also head over to LostInEntertainment.com for more of my programming. Stay strong and stay motivated.